Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, welcome. Hey, listen, if you've been enjoying my podcast, I'd be forever grateful if you would leave a review. It doesn't have to be verbose or anything. Just a short, sweet review would be awesome and help me out a lot. Please, please, and thank you. And of course, please check out my new book, Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Now, today, I would like to talk about mental health, and in particular, anxiety. We have to start using these words, mental health, in a very serious way. Our mental health. Yeah, I think we tend to use it a lot in our society in this very lighthearted, kind of overused way, right? Oh, I binged on Netflix for my mental health. Oh, I did some retail therapy for my mental health. Yes, that is most likely true. However, I think we need to start talking about it in a very serious way, in a very proactive way. The funny thing is, I realize I've been trying to talk about mental health, but I call it self-care. And I think that's where it's getting a little murky for a lot of people, right? Not just how I talk about it, but how we talk about it in general. So a friend and I were talking and I realized for me, self-care is about mental health. Because she said the funniest thing. She she was all, oh yeah, see, I see self-care as like taking baths, exercise, going on dates, shaving, right? I see mental health as taking internal stock and recognizing painful, harmful stuff. And by the way, this was a conversation with a very good friend of mine about her anxiety and should she go on meds? And she was asking my advice. And we'll get into that. But but yeah, this falls under self-care. For me, self-care, taking care of myself often looks brutal. And we've talked about this and there's a lot circulating online right now that self-care is not just mani-pedis, not just massages, not just getting your hair done or putting on some eyeliner, right? Although those all are part of self-care for sure. It's not just taking time for yourself. We have to take a closer look at this because again, for me, it looks brutal. And one thing I'm learning about in my coaching circle It's always interesting to me when I work with a group of people because, you know, in my potty training, my parent coaching, I usually work one-on-one with clients. And yes, I know anxiety is on the rise, but when you're working one-on-one with people, it's very easy to think, oh, it's this one instance. It's this one person who's feeling anxiety about this one issue. And then when you start working with a group, you go, holy shit, like this is big. This is a big deal for parents right now. Anxiety is freaking huge. And of course, in our last episode, we talked about keeping our kids safe in the fucked up world we live in. And that definitely contributes to some anxiety, right? There's so much that's happening in our world right now that contributes to it. So today I'd like to run through a lot of this stuff because our mental health is affecting our parenting. It's affecting our daily life. It's affecting how we interact in the world. And it's really fucking with us. So I want to run through some of the things I've learned about anxiety, some anecdotal stuff and some stuff I know to be true based on my own research. Some of this anxiety can actually be nutritional. So we want to run through that stuff because I think it's a pretty easy fix. Some anxiety is situational. Yeah, it's it's based on something that's happening that can usually be talked 
down, right? If you can use logic to talk yourself off a ledge, that's usually situational anxiety. Some anxiety is generalized, right? There's no fix for it. There's no one thing I'm anxious about X, Y, and Z. It's just poof, super, super generalized. Some anxiety can be fixed with brutal self-care and some anxiety really does need medication. And I am in no way a doctor. I am in no way offering medical advice. This is based on me working with thousands of families and my own, my own anxiety, my own treatment of myself and some, again, anecdotal research. So let's hit the nutritional stuff first, because as I said, I think that's a pretty easy fix. Nutritional science is actually a really new burgeoning field and more and more is being learned every day. And I just, this is a passion of mine ever since I was like 18. I was a personal trainer. I used to, you know, I was in the circus. I I was very uh, into nutrition and physical health way before it was popular. Yeah. And I'm obsessed with nutrient dense eating and in all my spare time, I'm really trying to keep up with the latest nutritional science and it's new. I think that's really trippy. We don't know a lot about nutrition and it's just hitting. We're just learning so much now about nutritional science. So whatever you learned in like 1992 probably isn't right. As a really interesting side note too, I just learned that we're in the, we're in the heyday of dinosaur research. So like I had figured I thought like we knew everything. We had found all the bones and it's not true. Like we're finding every day there's new discoveries. So I think <laughs> it's it's just a random thing to say, like a lot of what we know is not set in stone. And this goes for nutritional research. And again, I'm not a doctor, blah, 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 blah. I'm not giving you medical advice, but it's worth noting that most doctors have like one course in nutrition and that's it. And we know our insurance system and our medical care system is largely broken. So I think it's not so great to rely on um, just doctors. Doctors are fallible and they don't have to take a lot of nutrition. So I encourage you to do your own research. The human body is meant to be well. We're not meant to, um, you know, if you believe in a other design, a, a higher power, a God, whatever. The human body loves homeostasis. We love, the body loves to be well. And I think it's worth remembering that because if you don't feel good all the time, it's worth doing your own research to figure out why. First and foremost, and this goes with kids too, you guys, all of this I am reaching epic proportions with kids with anxiety. I'm talking two and three-year-olds, right? With hardly any stressors in their life. And and certainly I hit them at a stressful milestone, which is usually potty training, right? But I get, you know, the parents will tell me, no, they've been anxious, you know, since since they could walk. They're, they're just an anxious type of kid. So all of this stuff pertains to children as well, Okay. The biggest thing I have found throughout my life, and trust me, you guys, I have played with this over and over and over again, is sugar, 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 sugar. And we all know sugar is bad for us. We all watch our kids diet. We know we shouldn't, right? But we all have this love-hate relationship with sugar. Here's the thing about sugar. When I have sugar... I wake up in the middle of the night with heart palpitations. And I've really played with this. Again, I encourage you to play with it and do your own research and your own personal, uh, you know, study of yourself, right? I tend to eat low carb, high fat. So grains and carbs for me absolutely metabolize a sugar. <laughs> as I, I think they do for most people, right? And kids have a very high carb diet, almost always at two or three, right? It's like crackers and goldfish and all the carbs. They love it. They love it. 
but for you too, because we tend to do quote unquote self-care with sugar. We see sugar as a, a treat. I deserve it, right? And I will eat like super clean. I've done this like as experiments. I will eat super, super clean. And then I will have some sugar and, you know, I'll, I'll go a little overboard on it. And I absolutely 100% have anxiety. I wake up in the middle of the night with it. And I wake up at like dawn, just freaking out about nothing. And like my heart's racing. I just feel this like awful sense of doom and foreboding. So I have learned for me that sugar is awful. I try really hard to stay away from it in general. Of course, you know, it's summertime. I might have some ice cream, something like that. But I really, really, really try not to go overboard and I really try not to have it at all. It is the worst feeling in the world. And I don't suffer from anxiety in general. So it's um, very, very uncomfortable. So sugar, get rid of the sugar. I am going into menopause. So uh, last year I got my blood work done just to make sure like everything was cool before I go into menopause and everything like stops working. <laughs> so my doctor calls me and my doctor is amazing. She's a naturopath. She reads labs like nobody's business. And she calls me up like the next day after the lab work. And she's like, dude, how are you not dead? Your magnesium and zinc are so low. Like you should be totally dead. I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I don't feel dead. <laughs> and uh, she said, how are you pooping? Because magnesium really is responsible. It's a, a vitamin that not responsible, but helps us with pooping. And she was like, how are you? How are, you must not be pooping. And I was like, yeah, no, man, I poop twice a day. <laughs> so magnesium is one of those supplements I recommend for parents, you know, whose kids are having trouble pooping because it is so instrumental in, in the pooping process. So anyway, on the advice of her, I run out and I get magnesium and zinc. And I'll talk more about zinc in a minute because I didn't actually get a zinc supplement. Um, and I was like drinking magnesium. Guys, this made such a huge difference. One of the things about like anxiety and depression and our mental health in general is if we tend to feel like, okay, it doesn't even have to be that, that we're in crisis. We feel like, okay, I'm okay until we fix it, right? It's that you don't know the pain you're in till it's gone. I didn't know the pain I was in till I'm, I was gone, until it was gone. The magnesium and zinc just contributed to this like over, overwhelming good feeling like it just a satisfied with life like everything's okay like it just it changed things for me so i don't think you necessarily have to get your blood work done according to most doctors we're really low on magnesium zinc and vitamin d are the b12 um, b6s b3s most people are pretty chronically low so you know i think you can probably go out and just get yourself a supplement but if you do get blood work look for those things other ways to get magnesium, not other ways, some ways, <laughs> Epsom salt, Epsom salt baths. You can do Epsom salt, salt um, foot baths. Yeah. If you don't have time for a regular bath, it gets absorbed um, on the feet. You can do magnesium spray. I actually use this because I, I train pretty hard for endurance racing and my muscles get really crampy and sore. And magnesium spray right on the muscles does wonders. This works really well too, you guys, with your littles if they're going through growing pains, right? Can spray the magnesium salt, right? The um, spray, you can get it at Whole Foods or online and it works miracles. Of note though, if your child has um, a little cut, you too, but the children won't be able to handle it as well as you. If you have a little cut or mosquito bites, the magnesium is salty and so it can sting. So just take that as a note. 
I actually take a sub, um, uh, electrolyte mixture because again, I sweat a lot. I work out and I use this trace minerals, 40,000 volts. It's uh, magnesium, potassium and sodium. Really great for, um, for keeping my mood. Yeah. If I don't have my electrolytes, I drag, I drag ass, which then affects my mood. Zinc. I was low in zinc. I hate zinc supplements. If you've ever had zinc supplements, I don't know. They, they make me, they leave a very weird taste in your mouth and they also make me very shaky. But oysters, oysters are super high in zinc. So I'll just go out and get a couple of dozen oysters and chow them down and my zinc goes back up. Bioavailable B vitamins. Uh, controversial if you are vegan, but the most bioavailable B vitamins are found in meat. Please, 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 even if you're not into meat, go get some grass-fed. You can get local. Aldi's has very reasonably priced uh, grass-fed meat. Even just a little goes a long way. Supplements are okay, but it's just not as bioavailable as meat. And a little goes a long way particularly in children. And B vitamins, geez, man, it's like a shot. It's it's like a shot to your well-being, to your health, to your mood. It's It just amps you up. Now, I have a secret weapon, and I know this is probably going to freak you the fuck out, so bear with me. And I'm not suggesting you do this, but I do feel obligated to share my secret weapon. I eat raw liver. I learned about this years ago. I've been doing it for 20 years, so please don't try to tell me how dangerous it is because I do it daily. <laughs> I learned about it through Weston Price, the Weston Price Foundation. I eat raw liver. I get it very uh, fresh. I get it local. I get it from well, humanely treated cows and chickens. I freeze it. I freeze it for at least 24 hours, which kills off mo- most of the pathogens and bacteria. And then I take it out and I cut off little chunks. I chop it into pill-sized pieces and I swallow it down, blocking my nose. I don't care for the taste of liver that much. So I get the benefits without the taste. And this is literally like a shot in the arm of your B vitamins and iron and folic acid. It's just so, so good. It's the best for me. I just, I don't need a nap. I started giving it to my mom and she like perked up. She she looked like she had been kind of like um, uh, like a flower wilting. She was wilting and then she had the the raw liver and like parked up. It's it's really amazing. So again, I'm not going to belabor the point because I know it's freaking people out, but that is definitely something that you could do if you were feeling like you're dragging ass and your mood is, is being taken down. Um, the other thing for me personally, and this is just a personal thing, I don't like to contribute to the supplement industry. I really don't. It's plastic. It's um, shipping. It's big factories. It's just more corporate bullshit. For me, I like to stay away from as many supplements as possible and get my vitamins and all my minerals and everything I need from food. Again, my personal choice. Vitamin D. Oh my God, I cannot talk enough about vitamin D and mood, particularly if you live in a place without year-round sunlight, okay? Vitamin D, we are all chronically low. I can guarantee you if you go to the doctors right now and get your vitamin D tested, you will be low. It is the actual only pill supplement I take and I get plenty of sunshine, but I live in New England. I'm not getting sunshine year round. I'm not getting sunshine on like big swaths of skin, right? Like, yes, I'll wear a bikini at the beach, but that's not every day. So you need that vitamin D. And it's funny because my brother 
just my brother's not into nutrition at all, could care less, pretty much eats like crap. And he went to the doctor's. And the doctor's like, dude, vitamin D is so low, so low. You got to get this fixed. So he started mega dosing on vitamin D. And he came to me, he's like, Jamie, I was depressed and I didn't even know it. The vitamin D solved everything. So I think it's really fun and interesting. It's an easy fix. And these are just suggestions for you and some ideas. I know so many people don't even know where to find a lot of their vitamins. So these are just suggestions It's worth, I think, getting some blood work, especially if you feel like anxiety and depression are affecting your life and you are considering medication, but you don't necessarily, you know, you might feel like medication is not for you and you want to investigate other options. Get some blood work done. It's really worth seeing where your vitamin and mineral levels are at. This can just be life changing. On that note, too, we want to look at exercise. We want to look at moving your body for stress relief, for joyous movement, not for weight management. If you are parenting a toddler and you are concentrating on weight management, this could in fact be causing you anxiety, okay? I see so many people trying to get to their pre-pregnancy weight. You are drowning, you guys. You're in the worst, I think the worst phases of parenting. Problems get different and they get bigger as your child grows. But the toddler years are so hard because your kid is not logical. Your kid does not respond to logic. They're needy. They're going through these huge milestones. So I think the zero to six years are the suckiest. I really do. So do yourself a huge favor and let weight management go unless unless it's life-threatening for you or something. But this causes so much anxiety. I have to get to the gym. I have, you know, watching the scale. You're fucking busy, man. Give yourself a little time here. Don't Don't be so stressed about that, okay? Definitely, you can use exercise for stress relief. You can use it for self-care. Absolutely. You want to get outside. You want to get sunlight in your eyes. Really, a general rule of thumb, and this is in my new book, get yourself out of breath a couple of times. That's really, exercise is not quite the be-all to end-all that we thought really nutrition is, yeah? So you want to move your body, but I would love for you guys at this stage of your parenting career, I would love for it to not be formal. I would love for it to be joyous, and I would love for it to be with your kids. That's, you know, I'm not telling you what to do, but that's my preference. The woman who actually is in charge of all my Facebook ads. Her name is Sarah and her company is Resonate with Sarah. And Sarah introduced me to the best practice. And it's quite simply called the morning dance. And you get up and first thing in the morning is you throw on any kind of music you want and you do a dance. And it can it doesn't have to be long. It can be seriously just one dance. It's by yourself. I love to do this I wake up very, very early. I love to do it in the dark. It sets up my day for miracles. So that's something you could incorporate very easily. Jump out of bed and do this morning dance. So those are sort of the the more easy, you know, exercise and nutrition. Now let's talk about situational anxiety, things and situations that make you anxious that perhaps you could do something about. Yeah, I've talked about this a lot in various other episodes in in different threads, right? Do big events cause you anxiety? Because they do for me. And I realized, and I, I love learning about myself every day. I'm, I'm 50 and I keep learning new things about myself and it's kind of awesome. I realized I only have like one big event every six to eight weeks. That's like all I can handle. And 
I don't know, this point in the year, 4th of July is coming up. 4th of July is going to be my big event. I'm saving. I'm not doing anything else. No festivals, no anything, because 4th of July is going to tap me out. And I realize one of the things that makes me anxious is parking. Parking. How are we going to get to the 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 event from the parking? Where do we sit? The crowds. These things get me so stressed out. I hate crowds. I just, I hate them. I choose my events very, very carefully, and I really plot them out a few months in in advance so that I don't get stuck doing like back-to-back big events. They will wipe me out, and I'm not just being a big fat baby. They drain me. I'm an empath. I soak up everybody's energy. It's just they're really, really hard for me. So if you're like this, I want to assure you, you cannot go to these big events. There's no reason for kids under five to go to big events. Really, there's just no reason. You can say no. Most kids are going to collapse from the overstimulation anyway. And you could do what I do too, which is like, just plan it out. If you know you're going to go to a huge fireworks thing on 4th of July, plan that out. Make sure that it's like, uh, I'm having a brain fart because I'm realizing I'm recording this now, but it's probably not going to, it's going to be released after 4th of July. <laughs> so, so we could look at the next big event, right? <laughs> which is probably a Labor Day situation or um, maybe even Halloween. So anyway, I give you permission to bow out and you guys know I don't I don't have to give you permission for anything. You don't need my permission, but I think it's good to hear from an older wiser mom that, you know, hey, it's okay to say no. Your kid will survive without the festival, the Disney, the other huge event that makes you lose your mind with anxiety. Guys, Taking care of you and your mental health and your anxiety is the best thing you can do for your parenting. You are not showing up fully as a parent if you are suffering from anxiety, depression, or other mental health issues. All right, let's get on to the, the heavier stuff now. Toxic situations. Oh my God, you guys. Family, as you well know, I'm sure, can be toxic. Yeah. People we think are friends can be toxic. We have to get these people out of our lives or at least set up huge boundaries about our time with them. Friends and family should fill us up. You should leave with your bucket feeling full, right? You should not leave feeling put down, drained. A lot of times for me, it's not even anything I can put my finger on. It's like a friendship will sort of peek out. And I'll be like, God, I am exhausted. I need a fucking nap after being with a certain friend. And then I know that it's time to shift the relationship. And it doesn't necessarily mean ending it. It just means that for whatever reason, things have gotten to a low level of toxic. I'm feeling drained. I'm not feeling full, filled up uh, in a soulful way. And so it's time to back off or shift something. If you have legit anxiety about spending time with anybody, because they're being dickish, because they're douchebags, because they're judgmental, snippy, snide, anything, you have every right to ditch them. You have every right to be super strict with your time around them. And this is what I mean about brutal self-care, yeah? Taking care of yourself first, even if it means looking like a freaking samurai warrior with these huge ass machetes cutting ties with people that cause you anxiety. And again, I'm really learning a lot about this in, in my coaching circle. Uh, quite a few moms, it took them a long time to realize, oh my God, I feel like shit when I'm around my family. My mother just comes down on me. She's always on me. She doesn't care for one of my kids. So these moms and I were working out how to manage the boundaries, how to, you know, maybe not cut people off entirely, but put huge boundaries around it. And you know what? 
there's a meme floating around that I just love. And it's like, let's stop this idea that like, oh, they're family, family's everything. No, if your family's toxic, you have every right to cut them off. And I have had breaks with family members and, you know, people will say, oh, but Pascal's relationship. Pascal doesn't have a relationship with a person who is toxic to me. I, I feel very strongly about that. Okay. I am the gatekeeper <laughs> for my child. If you are toxic to me, you don't get through the gate. I'm sorry. And so again, I am throwing this out there in a way that gives you permission that you don't need from me, but it's, it's okay to cut these people off if they're causing your mental health to be shooken up. Yeah. For me, I leave parties early. Yeah. Drunk people are a top toxicity for me. I don't stay at any party past the point where people are getting super drunk. I've been called a loser, a potty party pooper. I'm no fun. I've been called all kinds of shit by family and friends, quote unquote, right? (laughs) Dude, I'm totally fun. I am a totally fun person. I don't drink and I don't enjoy drunk people. Yeah. I'm brutal, meaning I don't play nice. Yeah. I don't care who I offend. I don't care if somebody doesn't like me. I put all that aside to take care of myself in those situations. And I also want to take care of my kid. I don't want my kid in drunk situations. Yeah. Drunk people are triggering for me. I grew up in an alcoholic household. It doesn't serve me at all to play nice and try to stay at a party full of drunk people. And I'm brutal with myself and my time. I'm not mean. I just leave the party or I say, thank you very much. We have to get to bed early. We have a thing tomorrow, whatever. I don't have to say, you know, y'all are getting drunk and I hate you. (laughs) I just take care of myself in this very brutal way. And I used to not do that. Right. I think sometimes we forget because we don't want to offend people or we don't want to make waves. We so often throw ourselves under the freaking bus for other people to play nice, right? To be miscongeniality. <laughs> we have to stop that. You guys think about that. This falls under boundaries as well, right? Like circling back to those damn boundaries. Don't throw yourself under the bus for someone else. Of course, there's always going to be compromise. There's always going to be certain times we have to stick it out, but not all the time. Once I worked through my freaking trauma, I was able to see this all so much clearly. Like I was not this in tune till like probably the last 12 years or so. So I spent my youth, my 20s, my 30s, maybe even nah, not, not so much my 40s. Everything kind of changes when you turn 40. But I kept throwing away my mental health for other people. And it took me so long to figure out that I deserve my mental health and my sanity as much as anybody else does, right? So let's talk about another sort of situational anxiety. And this comes up a lot. This is like parental anxiety, right? And there's a few things that happen with parental anxiety. Number one, I swear to God, whatever's happening today in parenting with the current parenting pendulum, there is this idea that somehow there's a magic code that if you do X, Y, and Z perfectly, you are going to turn out the perfect kid. It's not true, you guys. It's just not true. Your kid has their own DNA. I am, I might be even too kind of spiritual about this for, for your taste, but I, I believe our kids come into the world. They choose us as parents. I believe they have their own trajectory. We are guiding them. We're sort of their bumpers, you know, like when you go, Uh, bowling and you put up the bumpers. (laughs) We are their bumpers, but they have their own trajectory. We can guide. We cannot force. We don't make. We don't create these humans. I mean, of course, we create them in our bodies, (laughs) but we don't don't, uh, create their lives for them. There is no magic code. Stop looking for it. Lead with love. 
lead with boundaries, get your foundation when they're young. You'll have magical years of gardening and guiding later, but there is no magic code. Stop looking for it. Stop making yourself anxious about it. Social media. We have to talk about social media. It is anxiety producing. I, again, have done like super concrete studies with myself. Three days without social media, three days with social media. It affects my sleep. It affects everything. It affects my parenting. I am shorter with Pascal because I see other people's sizzle reel of their life. I see everybody else doing it so much better than me that I come down on him. I'm shorter. I freak myself out. I try to do I rush around trying to do more because I feel like, oh my God, people are doing more, right? And and guys, this is my job. I know better, right? So if you're unaware of it, this absolutely is affecting your mental health. I'm not saying give it up. I'm saying curb it. I'm saying notice it. Notice as there's a limit for me. I'll be on Facebook for like, I don't know, probably like seven minutes. And after seven minutes, the shit starts to hit the fan. <laughs> so just be aware of it, Yeah. Another thing about not social media, but the internet in general, and this does apply to social media. If you search for the bad, you are going to find it. The Facebook algorithm and and Instagram is keyed up, you guys. So if you click on like disaster stories or horrific stories about kids or even animals or whatever, the algorithm is going to feed you more. And this goes, this has huge nefarious ramifications. There's an excellent TED talk I'll I can't remember the name of it, but uh, about uh, weaponizing social media for political gains. And the algorithm is just set up to feed you more of what you are looking for. Yeah. So if you are looking for bad, you're going to find it. Stop looking for the bad. Look for the good. Actively search out good stories, right? The news, everything is designed to hit us on an emotional level and I, I don't know. I feel like perpetuating fear is a really big nefarious uh, undertone here. Look for the good. If you start clicking on the bad, you will just see more of it. Yeah. And I have this. It's really, really, really funny. Uh, I think I mentioned in a few episodes that more than even moms, dads are so concerned with safety. And it makes sense, right? Like, I think on a cellular level, dads are protective. The dads I'm working with are just admittedly want to keep their kids in a box, in bubble wrap. They don't want their kids out experiencing life at all because they could get hurt emotionally, physically, they could be unsafe. And so these dads will point me to all these bad things. I'm like, dude, if you keep looking for the bad, you are going to find it. Okay. I talk consistently about getting hurt. And our last episode was, you know, pretty, pretty hard on keeping your kids safe, but we just have to, we have to do those those things. We have to confront what our anxieties are so that we can keep our kids safe. You have to be brutal. If you need to stay off social media, do so. You have to be brutal in forcing yourself back to the moment, every moment, if you have to. Yeah. So if you start feeling these panics rise, and this again is more like panic anxiety, not generalized anxiety. If you start to feel it, Play with your kid. Get down on the ground with your kid. Think about today only. List 10 great things about your child. List 10 great things about your life. If it gets really bad, if you feel yourself really starting to escalate, a great trick is look around the room. Find five yellow things. Um, five, you know, look for colors. 
be very, very present. That's a way to ground yourself really quickly in the moment. But I find, you know, for myself, and again, I don't suffer terribly bad from anxiety, but if I have this like wave of panic, staying in the moment and just focusing on Pascal super helps me through it. Sometimes we have generalized anxiety, yeah, and we squeeze it into something situational. And I see this a lot with potty training. I see parents getting abnormally anxious about potty training. You guys, potty training is just one small milestone. There is no reason that it should have you through the roof with anxiety. So what I see happen is that these parents have a generalized anxiety in their lives and they funnel it into potty training. So, you know, check in with yourself. A lot of this is just self-reflection. Like, am I being freakishly anxious about potty training? Am I being freakishly anxious when we're at the playground? Are you shoving some generalized anxiety into a situation? Because what happens is when we think that it's situational, we think we can logic our way out of it, right? We say, oh, I shouldn't be this way, which makes us more anxious, right? Thinking that we need to be another way. Why am I so anxious about potty training? And then when we look and say, no, 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 actually, I'm generalized anxiety right now, and I can't logic myself out of this. A funny thing about me is that, you know, I have my moments of anxiety. I have my moments of panic. And when that happens, I funnel it into fear of leaving my stove on. It's the funniest thing. I will have to race home in the middle of something to check my stove. I have a crazy fear of fire. Just it's pretty abnormal. A family's house burned down when I was young. And I think it just, it, it stayed with me forever. I have this crazy fear of fire. When I feel some generalized anxiety coming up for no reason, maybe I had too much sugar or something like that. All of a sudden I'm super focused on, did I leave my stove on by mistake? And it, it, it interrupts my life. <laughs> But that's just an example of tucking generalized anxiety into something situational, which is just misleading. And it makes us think we can talk our way out of it when we can't. So let's talk about that generalized anxiety, because generalized anxiety really a lot of times needs medication. And what's coming up a lot when and parents ask my advice is, you know, how do you ascertain that you might need some chemical assistance, right? How do you figure out if you need medicine? And generally speaking, almost all the people I work with don't want medication, right? They really want to try some natural stuff. They want to try some nutritional stuff. They think that they should be able to talk themselves down. And we just have this really weird thing with mental health meds. It's I don't know why mental health is a weakness. It's seen as a weakness, I should say, you know. We have no problem. You have a headache, you take aspirin. If you have, you know, diabetes, you take insulin. If you have a cold, you might take NyQuil. But mental health, those meds, like we have this idea that we should be able to power through, that it's a weakness. It is not. Not to say that we want to run to pills all the time. By by no means do I mean that. But sometimes you can't just power through, you guys. Yeah, that's that's like saying power through power through your diabetes. No. <laughs> I can almost guarantee that if you are thinking, is it time for me to, to look into meds? It might be time for meds. And that is okay. A couple of other things to check in with yourself. Is your anxiety running your life? Is it interfering with your life? Is it interfering with your parenting and your connection with your child? And this might be a huge yes. I see this a lot in my work 
parents aren't, they're so anxious and their anxiety, they keep thinking they can research their way through it. They can talk themselves down. They are totally disconnected with their kid because they're so worried about all the other things. And even again, that situational anxiety of potty training, I have to tell people sometimes like, dude, you're asking me a very bizarre question about your child. Like your child's right in front of you. Address what you know about that kid. When a kid, when a parent sort of surface, what do I want to say? It's almost like their kids in this bubble and their anxiety is the bubble and they're, they're not connecting with their kid. So is your anxiety talk downable? For example, like you might be stressed about finances, right? But you can logically work your way through finances. You can say, you know, you can list things. You can, even if you are in the hole, you can still see it logically and you can say, what do we need to do to fix it? Yeah. Generalized anxiety, you're not going to logic your way through and you have tried everything and nothing is helping. Then it might be time to look at meds. Meds are fine, you guys, if they help you be a better version of you if they help you connect more with your life, yeah? If they help. And they don't have to be forever. And I'm gonna share a super personal story because I think I think it helps. And I think it helps to see somebody like me who I really do have all my shit together. I am super happy. I super love my life. And it was not always the case. In my late teens and early 20s, I had childhood trauma that was not worked through and it was pretty severe trauma. You could probably say I went crazy. I was a cutter before cutting was even known. Princess Diana hadn't come out as a cutter. Nobody knew what to do. I was deemed crazy. It was pretty bad. Nobody knew what to do with me. And I was a mess. Of course, I, you know, was brought in to see a psychiatrist, you know, through this testing. It was it was determined that more than anxiety and depression or anything like that, I had what was called intrusive thoughts. I didn't experience it like this. It wasn't like I was hearing voices or anything like that, but it was called intrusive thoughts. I was put on Risperdal, which at the time was brand new, pretty experimental. And it was a, what do I want to say? It was a topical thing. Like you would take it, not not topical to your skin, but it was, I could take it and it would immediately affect my system. It wasn't like Prozac or Wellbutrin. It didn't have to build into my system. I cannot even tell you guys. I remember so clearly, and this was so long ago, and I remember that first day. And all I can say is I was unaware that my trauma was causing almost this like white static noise in my head that was interfering with my ability to be sane and my ability to live my life. Every day was a freaking struggle. Getting out of bed was a struggle. Choosing clothes was a struggle. I worked. I I was to everybody on the outside. I think I looked pretty normal, but man, my head was a mess. And I took the Risperdal and that first day, my mind was quiet and holy fuck. I walked around. I was in San Francisco. I walked around the city, like just amazed at my mind. And I was like, is this how other people feel? Is this how other people get through their day? Because now all of a sudden it made sense how everybody else around me seemed to have their shit together but me. I was like, oh my God, this feels so good. I could exist in my life and in my body effortlessly. It was amazing. Now, of course, during that time, I was working with a talk therapist. I was doing every kind of therapy, to be honest. <laughs> in San Francisco, it's all, it's all available. And I was working with my talk therapist and we got, I worked through the trauma and I was able to work through the trauma without going crazy because I was on this medication. And what that medication did for me is it gave me a home. In my, in my mind, in all my years, my early 20, 21st years, I had no idea what sane 
quiet, healthy, calm mind. I had no idea what that felt like. And now I did. So then I could use all my talk therapy tools and I could get back to that place. So I ended up being on the Risperdal for about a year. And it was really, I used it in a way and we hit the trauma hard. I worked through the trauma without going insane. I was able to actually... I stopped cutting even again before cutting was a thing. And that's how I became a social worker. And I ended up working with the cutting population and I was brilliant. I worked up the, I worked with some of the most brilliant minds in psychiatry because I, I had an in with cutters that nobody else had. And, and that's a whole nother story, but it was pretty miraculous. And it, and it ended up being a huge part of my life and a huge benefit to me. So I just, I, it's super personal. And I wanted to share that story with you guys because number one, I wanted to point out that meds don't have to be forever. They can be to, to settle you, to find that home, to work through trauma. They, they may be forever and that's okay too. And I also wanted to tell that story because I wanted to show how we can really accept all of who we are. And I believe everything happens sort of for a reason and that this, I became who I am today because of that period in time. And it actually hugely benefited me. So anyway, that's my story about meds. I encourage you, if you if you are thinking about it, if it is really interrupting your connection with the people in your life, go see somebody. It's totally fine. So that was a lot to chew on today. This is a longish episode. Um, go through it again if you have to, yeah? Try to figure out if there's a source for your anxiety or if it's just generalized and not talk downable, yeah? Sometimes you have to rely on your soul-filling friends. Sometimes you have to rely on other people's feedback because you can't necessarily trust your own self, yeah? So get your really good friends and say, you know, hey, do you see this as a problem for me? I can't state this enough. Ditch the toxic people. Yeah. Reach out for help. Take your mental health so seriously. You know, if you get up in the morning and make a list for, you know, organic vegetables, that's taking your physical health very seriously, right? Get up in the morning and address your mental health in the same way. Take it as seriously as we handle our eating, as we handle our physical health. Yeah. Do it for your life. Do it for your kids and do it for you. You deserve excellent mental health. I'm going to say that again. You deserve it. All right, you guys, rock on. These last few episodes have been super heavy, uh, but they were weighing on my mind. I wanted to get all this material out there. Reach out if you have to. That'd be great. And also rock on. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book presale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified OCRAP consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.